I don't even know what gazumping, like when was the last time you used the word gazumping? Who came up with gazumping? It's gotta be Irish. There was a little weird Irish leprechaun man who got gazumped in the Australian property marketplace and invented the word gazumping. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show is part two of how to go and buy real estate in a rising market, albeit this particular program is centered around a little bit around the idea of contract law. Real estate is actually a title, it's real, it's got real value, but to get your hands on that little piece of paper, that amazing title, you have to go through a bit of an arm wrestle to get to the other side. And I want to talk about that arm wrestle because I think today in this rising marketplace where real estate is skyrocketing in value, people are being pushed pillar to post and may just end up buying the wrong property in the wrong suburb, in the wrong location, wake up in a couple of years' time a little bit disappointed with what they've gone out and rushed into buying. Of course, in real estate, we often reference the idea of the fear of missing out. And I'll tell you what, it does seem to feel like the coronavirus isn't the only virus spreading through the world at the moment. The fear of missing out on real estate is certainly absolutely causing a little bit of uh, concern for many people in the marketplace. They are rushing out and buying real estate left, right, in center with really no checks and balances to what they are doing. So when I did my first podcast on the rising marketplace, I didn't know if I should tackle it. I thought it was a pretty tough conversation to tackle. I don't know if we even conquered that conversation. So I've wanted to come back. It's been Waking me up in the middle of the night, I need to talk more about actually some of the practical side of buying real estate. So I'll tell you what, guys, I'm here to be practical today. I'm going to talk to you as a no-nonsense, getting down to business, meat and potatoes conversation. Now, many of you might find this as boring as batshit because I am going to go through some of the specifics around how contracts work how real estate agents often work and some of the pitfalls and challenges you need to be wary of to be a property investor in today's rising property marketplace. So I'll tell you what, do you have funds to complete if you enter a contract without a finance clause or knowing the true worth or valuation of the asset? Tell you what, that sounds scary, doesn't it? But too many people today are entering contract with no terms and conditions and just hoping that they can borrow some money at settlement and rock up on the day of settlement to take ownership of that asset. I tell you what, we are seeing properties actually sell faster than business suits or shirts. Yes, people are spending one, two times at an inspection at an open home, perhaps seeing a property for 15, 20 minutes and entering contract very quickly, very quickly. Making it even harder, there is so many groups buying real estate at the moment. When you think about all the group shopping, real estate tends to boom. 
Now, I often teach people about booms by explaining when all groups want to shop at once, you fundamentally have a bit of a boom on your hands. Remember, there are different groups that shop in real estate. We have the first home buyers. They are shopping in droves. They are out and about. Every millennial wants to get their hands on a piece of real estate today, and they are doing that. Investors know the market is rising, and smart investors are trying to get into the marketplace where they can. The upgraded market is booming, right? People are wanting to get hold of a better property using the low rates to activate buying a better home. We know the downsizer market, which is fundamentally an all-cash marketplace, is active. That is active in a couple of sections. People both looking for a uh, lifestyle property or a downsizer, but also wealthier retirees looking to take money out of the bank and really get a better return from real estate. So we're seeing a lot of cash sales in the marketplace, cash sales where people do not need finance terms. Um, fundamentally, people all cashed up taking out an asset in one foul swoop. So there is a fifth group of people which generally also contribute to a property boom. That is foreign investors. So we've got the four out of the big five. We've got local investors, home buyers, or first home buyers, upgraders, and that sort of older, retired, more mature cash marketplace, all active in the marketplace. We are literally at 80% of full throttle right now when it comes to a rising marketplace. And that is exciting. But with that becomes a lot of challenges for people. And if property investors haven't learned to become autonomous, they can quite often fall victim, I guess you would say, to challenges when it comes to the nuances of real estate. They can buy a property and not know it's expensive. They can end up uh, getting penalty interest for not selling a a property on time. They can actually lose their deposit through not understanding how the contract law process works. They can end up buying a property without doing the right searches um, to understand what is actually occurring behind the scenes with that piece of real estate. That actual title, that specific block of land may actually be impacted by something. What that something is, is part of the journey of buying and the discovery process of real estate. So we're going to crack that code today. I hope that sounds exciting. I'm pumped. I'm ready to do it. I think contract law is a great little way to understand real estate. And the better you are when it comes to understanding some of the pitfalls and challenges with real estate, I think you can end up becoming a great property investor. It's just part of the learning process. So hopefully you get some fun results from today's episode. Perhaps you know contract law and you think this will be as boring as batshit. Well, that's cool. Uh, Play me in two speed. Just put me on two speed and within 15 minutes, you'll be doing something else with your life anyway. But I can tell you when it comes to this market, it is making people a little bit loopy. And because people are loopy, they're jumping into the market. And are they jumping into a good property, a bad property, a safe contract, a less safe contract? These are the questions we want to uncover today. And I'm going to teach you a little bit about, well, how it all unfolds, okay? So 
Let's talk about it. And I'm going to break this down into three little sections. Three little piggies. First little piggy is before buying. Second little piggy is entering contract. And third little piggy is kind of the settlement process. So the first part of the puzzle is we've got to go out and find real estate. And I think in my previous podcast, I tried to do service into what you need to think about when you're going to buy real estate, what kind of uh, analysis you need to do, how to search uh, suburbs, how to start with 20 properties and end up with one. Um, So go back and listen to that episode. You might like that episode. But if we've gone past that episode, by the way, all of my podcasts are fundamentally lessons on real estate. So you can go back to the first episode and you'll learn something. You can go to episode seven. You can go to the secret language of real estate. That's a great episode. Go check them all out um, because for the most part, 95% of them is not really time bound around, uh, around a specific thing occurring, right? So... The first thing we need to understand about uh, real estate and the first little piggy, which is before you go buying, is you're going to need to have a budget, right, when it comes to due diligence. Because going off and buying a property without getting a building report, a pest report, doing strata searches, if it's a much older property, doing a, a plumbing report or a drainage report, you're going to potentially end up buying something which causes you future problems as a property investor. It's very easy to pay for research, but because research costs money, many people avoid that process. They don't get the contract reviewed by a lawyer. A lawyer is going to charge you $250, $350, maybe $500 to review a contract. Can you imagine if you're... Um, looking at 10 different deals and you've got to pay $300 for a contract review, that's $3,000 right there. Building and pest inspections, I mean, they can range from sort of $500 to well over $1,500 if it's a larger home. Pest inspections, looking for termites. And strata searches, I mean, all of this is something that you've just got to factor in to your purchasing process. And again, you've got to set yourself a budget up. I think a good budget, to be brutally honest, is around $5,000 to buy a property if you can get through the funnel of looking at 20 deals and end up with the right one. Really, you should be able to do a lot of research with around $5,000. Obviously, if a property is a little bit newer, you know, you don't if it's brand new, you probably don't need a, uh, a pest inspection, but you will need, for example, a handover inspection where people assess defects for real estate. So remember, we're trying to sort of analyse this before we actually enter into the contract, but at this stage, we've got ourselves a really, really good deal. We've, we've, we've positioned ourselves, we want to do the research on this deal, and that's why we're paying for the reports to be done, the contract to be reviewed. Now, when it comes to something that is being reviewed, let's say something comes back a little bit abnormal. That doesn't necessarily mean you need to walk away from the property. In fact, it can be a fantastic way to actually renegotiate the deal. Let's say, for example, some pest uh, 
problems were occurring on the rear fence. Well, that's not the end of the world. Um, it sounds scary. There's termites eating, you know, three pieces of wood out, wood out of 400 panels on the rear fence. Um, you've discovered that. That could actually make you ten dollars or $20,000 off the purchase price because at this point, the vendor is fundamentally also fairly committed and because you've got ammunition, you should use it. So with due diligence, whenever you get ammunition, your job is absolutely to try and use it to your best, um, uh, you know, for your best hope, right? And that's why it's really good quite often to get due diligence done before you go completely unconditional. Because once you go unconditional, if you did find that termite um, issue, it's really not something where the, you have the power to renegotiate, right? So just think about due diligence as paid negotiation. It can really broaden your scope for absolutely getting a better price. Quite often, I've seen this, for example, where body corporate schemes uh, fundamentally have a very low or insufficient sinking fund. They're kind of like backup money. Now, as you know, real estate carries future capital costs. Whether you buy a house or an apartment, you have to put money away as the property ages to eventually spend future capital costs on repairs and maintenance. The great thing about buying um, strata properties is quite often many people have put bucket loads of money away for future improvements which have yet to be done and sometimes that money actually supersedes what any of the improvements uh, could possibly be. For example, you might have a, an apartment complex where really the only thing you can do to it is give it a lick of paint which costs $40,000, but in the sinking fund, you've got $200,000. You really do have a great war chest. And in some respects, you're paying for a great war chest in that example. But also, there is examples, for example, where some body corporate schemes really just don't have enough funds in them compared to what the future capital costs are needed to make that property great again. And again, the newer you buy, the less kind of these things are an issue, right? And the older you buy, the more you have to be sort of sensitive about these kind of issues. But again, a really good opportunity to renegotiate. I mean, um, I've been able to renegotiate on older properties for people uh, that they get, you know, $20,000 worth of um, money contributed um, to, to them for future use in body corporate schemes. In other words, though something may seem insufficient, that is your job to actually then use that challenge to create an opportunity. So with buying real estate, every challenge is actually an opportunity, okay? And the more you sort of comprehend that, the better off you're going to be. So anything that comes up, any uh, fundamental flaw in the asset you want to use to your advantage to buy, to enter this thing we call a contract. Now, before you enter a contract, there are a few things which I think you need to understand about tenure. Yes, tenure. That's a strange word, isn't it? We don't use that every day. I'll have two tenures, thanks. No, we never use tenure. But 
Today, we're going to use tenure. Tenure, of course, is the title of real estate. And real estate has various titles across Australia. In fact, I'm probably not going to name them all, but without question, there are many. For example, we have Torrens title, which is very common in South Australia, Victoria, uh, Sydney, uh, New South Wales, Queensland. Torrens title or freehold title. So freehold fundamentally is a very good title system. It's actually what we would call a state guaranteed system. In other words, the title is actually guaranteed by the government. And as such, it is really the best title you can own, the best tenure you can own. Strata title and community title are kind of like just subcommittees of freehold or torrents title. So they are also guaranteed by the government. They are really good titles to own. Freehold or torrents um, and sometimes known as green title in Western Australia is a very, very good title. Then you've got strata and community. The only difference between strata and community is usually um, community title schemes are a very low um, uh, strata levy schemes. They basically just maybe have one community thing they need to look after, like a, I don't know, like a, a, a thoroughfare, okay? So then we have other titles. And the other titles are you know, things you need to be wary of. In Australia, we have company title. Company title is not something that's guaranteed by the government. It's fundamentally a company. You're buying a share in that company and it really is an old system which was developed sort of 100 years ago. You can make money actually converting company title to freehold or strata title, but that I won't get into today. Then we have a leasehold title in Australia. Leasehold is effectively you are buying the rights to lease the, the land for a period of time. For example, in Canberra, everything is leasehold. It's a 99-year lease and you can renew it anytime. And the reason Canberra is set up as leasehold, it is actually obviously set up as the federal government and that's they are leasing land off the New South Wales government. A little bit complicated there. But leasehold in Canberra is really good tenure. However, then we have leasehold, which complicates it even further, in, say, strange little weird mining towns, where fundamentally a mining company is leasing land for 30 years and at the end of that lease, well, the lease runs out and who knows if you can renew it. So you need to know your tenure, you need to know what you're buying and then you need, before you even enter contract, to understand how the real estate agent is selling you that real estate. There are generally three methods of how real estate agents sell to you. The first method is auction. Auction is actually a three-phase sales system. They can sell to you before auction, at auction or after auction. And that's why real estate agents love auction because they get three bites of the cherry to motivate you to buy. Hey, buy this thing before it gets to auction. The day of auction, you're going to pay too much. Then at auction, it's like you've got to compete with other bidders. Then after auction, you obviously um, may have a little bit more bargaining power if it does actually pass in at auction. However, at auction, you got to rock up with 10% on the day and you don't get any cooling off or anything like that. You are basically 
committed at that point 30 to 42 days later, you got to settle. Another simple way to buy real estate here in Australia is often called private treaty, sale by private treaty. Private treaty allows you to create rather like an offer and acceptance. Once that offer that you've put forward is accepted, you enter into a contract which legally binds you to buy the asset. That contract can be subject to a few terms, a private treaty sale. For the most part in a rising market though, we are dealing with a private treaty contract which has no contingencies, right? Can't even say it. Uh, And so that's the challenging part. Particularly, for example, in New South Wales, it's not often common to get subject terms in a contract. More common in Victoria and Queensland to get, for example, a contract term of subject to finance or subject to inspections or subject to something. So we need to be very wary as buyers as to how the best way we can play the game. And not all buyers are built equally. There are cash buyers in the market that have no problem with buying straight up, no finance clause, cash unconditional. Then there are first home buyers who are more or less relying on grants and boosts and support from family and they need a little bit of time to piece it all together. Hey, in real estate, there's no right or wrong, there just is. So throw any term out there, see what you can do with it. Um, Again, I might uh, actually in this podcast, I might put together my terms or offer sheet for you and post uh, post it in the notes. So you've got an offer sheet. The final uh, way of buying real estate typically is an expression of interest. An expression of interest just basically says you're prepared to put your foot forward and pending your due diligence and research, you're going to actually enter a contract. So quite often, expression of interest is a nice way to buy. It just means the first person who puts their best foot forward gets to get into contract first. And quite often, that is probably the least used version of buying real estate because, well, you know, there tends to be, um, I guess, uh, the ability for the buyer to kind of back out. There is sale by tender, which basically means highest priced on the day must enter contract, but sale by expression of interest, a little bit different. You've got a little bit of due diligence before you're asked to enter contract. And quite often you see in the new property market sector, you you generally um, work by sort of sale by expression of interest that then creates a contract. Now, then there's some crazy shit like Irish things called gazumping. I don't even know what gazumping, like when was the last time you used the word gazumping? Who came up with gazumping? It's got to be Irish. There was a little weird Irish leprechaun man who got gazumped in the Australian property marketplace and invented the word gazumping. But fundamentally what gazumping is, is you can go to all this trouble to go and buy real estate. You can pay for building pests, finance inspections, valuations. You can do title searches, research. But unless you're in contract, unless you're unconditional, the vendor still has the right to go and sell that property to someone else. They can take other offers and unless you put your best foot forward and go unconditional, there is a risk that you go to the trouble of spending money on research and not get the deal, even though the vendor has committed to you. It's kind of this weird 
little, uh, I guess, nuance of buying real estate. It's never, uh, it's never done until the fat lady sings, so to speak, and that is, uh, is well, you know, so true when it comes to the real estate economy. Now, I'll tell you what, before you enter contract, you need to work out whether you're going to buy a loan, you're going to be tenants in common, you're going to be joint tenants, are you going to buy with your wife? Um, typically, to do that, you're, you're, um, you, know, you, you can fundamentally enter a contract where if you were to pass away instantly, that contract passes over to your spouse. Then you, you can enter a contract where people have a shareholding in that contract. So you've got to work out which one you are, tenants in common or joint tenants. And right now, I keep on forgetting the difference between the two. I should know that. That is a principle, 101 principle. I think it's tenants in common is actually, you know, husband and wife buying together. Um, it's naturally the shares get passed one to the other and joint tenants is actually the idea that you're going to buy with someone else but you're going to highlight the shareholding to begin with. So I might put in 60%, you put in 40%, let's go buy. That is fundamentally a shareholding arrangement when it comes to the ownership. So now we've worked out how we're going to buy. We've worked out we need to do due diligence. Due diligence isn't the end of the world. You can use it to renegotiate a contract. Uh, as the contract renegotiations are done, you've worked out your tenure, your fundamentally your title. Um, you've avoided being gazumped. Now's the day you're going to enter contract to buy the property. Now, quite often, again, if you're entering a contract, you may be asked to um, waive a cooling off on that contract. Now, typically, many contracts, it changes from state to state, but will offer you three to five business days to change your mind and cool off. However, you do need to pay a fee to cool off, and that fee is usually 0.25%, which roughly covers the vendor's uh, cost to do the contract in the first place and pay their lawyer. So what happens is many contracts, uh, the agent will ask you to waive the, any cooling off rights, which is in, their, uh, in the vendor's best interest to, do, to ask you to do that. And depending on the market, if there's a lot of interest, Quite often, you just basically need to do that. But again, I think you need some good offer documents. And I'm going to put it in the show notes because I want you to end up buying a property with a little bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, maybe a seven-day finance clause or a 14-day finance clause, subject evaluation, these kind of things. I understand some of that is not practical right now. And we all need to use our best wits to get through this uh, concept known as buying real estate in a rising, rising marketplace. Now, in a contract for sale, your lawyer uh, will review that. And this is where state law and uh, territory law, like it's also muddled up. New South Wales law system is completely different to Victoria, which is completely different to Queensland which is way different to Western Australia. It is all so wacky. 
I really wish one day they would just create a unified national Australian property marketplace where every contract law decision was the same. But I doubt they ever will because everyone wants to look after their own interests. And as we've seen with coronavirus, Australia is really a land of seven prime ministers with seven different agendas. So we can probably throw that one out of the window. But a contract, for example, in New South Wales, will actually disclose to you things like easements, covenants, right-of-ways. Uh, they will disclose to you, for example, your sewerage diagram. They will basically give you everything that is on that title registered so that you can read the contract and see if there's something weird on that title. In other states, that is not done. The contract that you are entering in does not have all the weird shit of the title. So you need to engage typically a conveyancer, but I prefer to engage a property lawyer. Property lawyers cost roughly about $700 more than a conveyancer, but when the shit goes wrong, you want a property lawyer, right? Because that's what their expertise is. Conveyances generally basically exchange the real estate and eventually sell it for you. Property lawyers will exchange the real estate and eventually sell it, settle it for you, but also look and fight on your behalf to do um, get you the best possible terms and conditions. So you want your lawyer to do title searches and typically lawyers can do you know bucket loads of searches. They'll search like if there's easements, covenants, uh, restrictions on the title, zoning uh, restrictions on the title. They will see if there's going to be affected by main roads, if it's going to be affected by future acquisition of the land by government. They'll find out all sorts of stuff. And this is, this is where I think it's really, really so important that you get a title search done before you go completely unconditional on the property. And again, that's when you get a lawyer to review the deal before actually going unconditional or exchanging the property. They can do this stuff. They can come back to you and say, there's a dispute on this title or there's a second mortgage on this title which may restrict it from actually being sold. They might see that there's um, a right of way which is, which is lodged at the land titles offer but not in your contract. And this stuff is real, right? Because like stuff gets missed and I've, I've seen people like literally think they're buying two car spaces and not have that on their title represented and end up having one car space 10 years later, they've been parking in the same spot in the two car spaces. When they go to sell the property, the property's only got one car space on it. It was never registered properly. It just turns into a future absolute ordeal for people. So you've got to be really, really diligent around contract reviews. And quite often those reviews also pertain to the day of settlement. If you do not settle real estate on time, you will either lose your deposit or pay heavy penalty interest. And again, in Queensland, they have this concept known as time of the essence, which basically means that 
On the day of settlement, if you don't rock up and settle, you can lose your deposit. The vendor has the right to take your money. In New South Wales we and Victoria, we generally use a thing called a notice to complete. Fundamentally, what that means is if you do not settle on the day of settlement, you will be issued a notice to complete and that notice to complete generally gives you a further 14 days to settle. During that 14 days to settle, you will be paying penalty interest. So most contracts also carry a penalty and the penalties can range from 20% interest to you can negotiate down to like, you know, no interest, right? So... My team's always big on the penalty. Like, we've got to fix the penalty interest. Sags, the penalty interest is too high on that one. Let's renegotiate. Um, they love penalty interest. I've got a lady who works for me called Lila. She's amazing. She's like, we, she's like the German train station. Everything has to run on time. And without question, penalty interest has to be sorted out before I can bring a deal to market for my clients. I've got to make sure it's virtually nothing. She, she hates penalty interest. I don't know why. I'm like, mate, it's 50 bucks extra. But this is why she's the German train station. So I tell you what, um, when it comes to a contract as well, you know, there is uh, the idea of fixtures and fittings. And uh, fixtures are generally things that are attached or fixed to the property. While fittings are things which, well, you know, they, they can be moved around, right? Such as, you know, a picture, a mirror, for example, is a fitting. You can, you can move it. However, both fixtures and fittings make up a contract for sale. And again, you want to make sure that when you're assessing and looking at the contract, all the fixtures are included because that's what you're buying. You're buying something fixed to the property you're buying the pergola. You're buying the shed. They are fixed, right? Um, and then you've got fittings, which, you know, for, for, for all intensive purposes, can be taken away. And, um, you know, I remember buying a property and it, I thought a built-in microwave was a fixture and the seller thought it was a fitting and we had... A dispute over a microwave which uh, with my cavalier nature I, I succumbed to letting him have the microwave but these are the things that you'll end up having to deal with as you go through this venture of buying real estate so finance is always a prickly subject a lot of people like to get finance approvals before even going shopping in real estate some people know they can buy real estate and then basically go unconditional and by the time they settle, basically produce finance for the day of settlement. There's no right or wrong. Uh, however, if you've got a prickly situation in your background and you've got a little bit of chaos when it comes to your credibility about borrowing money, I suggest finance terms. I suggest organising finance before shopping. If you're cashed up and you know um, what you're doing and you're very autonomous when it comes to this mastery of real estate. I get it. Some of the best deals in the marketplace have to be done quickly. And, you know, I did a deal in, uh, in uh, Liverpool Street in Sydney and, man, we had – I was helping a client, right? It was like one of my biggest discount deals I ever did. I met – like we made him almost close to like $700,000 or something crazy like that. 
And that deal, he had to go unconditional on the day within an hour, right? That's the type of deal. He had to close that deal in 14 days, a 14-day settlement. Now, he was all cash, right? And I get it. Some of the best deals in the marketplace right now, you're going to have to you're going to have to weigh up your decision around them and you know, fundamentally maybe take a little bit of risk, but if you've done the legwork before you take the risk, it's 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 a lightened load. And that fundamentally would mean you know what you can borrow, you're really tight with your lender, your lender likes your security and away you go, right? You're off and running. However, banks are under the pump and uh, they also need time to prepare for settlement, which we will talk about into the future. What happens though is your bank actually gets the property valued. Now, you might do your research. Let's say you found a $500,000 property and you know it's worth $500,000 and you think the bank's going to lend you 450000 and they're uh, comfortable with you putting in 50000 Everything sounds good. But then what happens, the bank goes to value the property and all of a sudden they don't see it worth 500000 They see it worth $480,000. They will lend you four hundred on the $480,000 at 90%. Wow, what does that do? Well, that means you've got to adjust your deposit and you're going to have to contribute more money. And quite often banks tend to do this quite a lot. It means quite often to get the best leverage, you might need two goes at evaluation, sometimes three goes at evaluation. But understand that is also hitting your credit file. So leverage is in the... Uh, hands of the user. If you want to try and get the best leverage, get the best valuations, you might need two or three goes. If you're happy making up any shortfall, well, that's also not such a drama either. Remember, banks have all sorts of reasons why they instruct valuers to value property. So valuation 101, and I'll come back and teach you about valuation. It's a big topic. But valuation 101 is the valuer takes the instructions from the bank, right? They they are the instructions. And banks do all sorts of things. Like if they're overexposed in a neighbourhood, they're not going to tell you if they've got too many loans uh, in Manly. They'll basically um, quite often instruct the valuer to, um, you know, compare the property to, to... a much older property using instructions. Valuation 101, where did the instructions come from? However, more often than not, it's not such a drama. You basically will get a valuation on the money and away you go, okay? You've just got to be re- ready in case you don't to pivot, to extend. Um, and there really is, uh, during a contract period, um, opportunities to extend the contract before it fundamentally gets to the end so you can quite often um, see a problem occurring and get an extension before settlement is due again this is why we use uh, a great set of lawyers because we might have to be maneuvering while we're buying this 
property, right? This is all part of the process of of buying buying a property, right? It's just just uh, the way it is. All right. Um, I think we need to talk about the mortgage. The mortgage is obviously something you are going to get. You're going to get at some point mortgage documents. Now, quite often when you receive these mortgage documents, it will ask you, do you want legal advice on the mortgage documents? It's usually up to you. Most people tend to waiver it. I will add, if you're fundamentally borrowing money off a bank which you've already borrowed money from and you currently have an asset with that bank, you will probably see in your mortgage documents an all monies clause, a cross securitization clause. This fundamentally means your mortgage document will actually have um, a blended security on it. What that does in for many property investors is, is limits them into the future. So be wary if you are cross securitizing, but for the most part, mortgage documents if you want them to be reviewed, can actually be reviewed by your lawyer. Obviously, that's another fee as well. You're more than welcome to do that. A lot of people kind of don't, I guess. Um, I've never worked out why. I've always had them reviewed, but um, I think it's just that extra expense. And at the end of the day, we all feel like the bank can get us if they want to, right? So, that is without question how the middle part works, right? Remember, we're doing the three little piggies here. And the third little piggy is the idea that now we need to go and settle. This is where things like stamp duty start to come into play and disbursements. Your lawyer or the conveyancer is going to send you a basically a settlement sheet, which is going to have more costs than you thought. You're going to be like, oh, I didn't know I had to pay council rates in advance or strata levies in advance and I, or I've got um, the stamp duty on the same day that needs to be clear with the titles office. So again, you've just got to be ready for this and you've got to be ready to pay insurance because your lender will want the asset insured before they release the money to you to settle the property. So again, we've got some of these kind of weird nuances which we have to be um, across on our way to settlement. Hey, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Urban Property Investor. hope these little tips and tidbits gives you some insights into how to go out and enter a contract and some of the pitfalls behind that. Hey, I actually liked bringing you in this episode. I think we should have done it. I'm pumped. Yeah. Hey, next week I'm going to come back and I'm going to talk to you about the idea of becoming a master in real estate, um, mastering something. And I want to help you understand that real estate is a bit of a long-term vehicle and hopefully I can give you some insights into mastering this crazy thing we call real estate. Hey, thanks for your time. I'll catch you soon on the next episode of The Urban Property Investor. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. 
In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.